Hello, 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 good day, and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Ashitino. And today, I wanted to carry on with our series about World War II uh, and, and kind of start to draw things to a close. Um, we'll do things. First, we'll talk about Europe, since uh, the war in Europe came to a close uh, more quickly than the war in the Pacific. And a good part of that was because the United States made Germany first their main policy uh, and, and directed most of their efforts towards Germany, uh, which just shows you the economic and industrial might of the United States in the 1940s. They were able to throw a tremendous amount at Germany while at the same time fighting the Japanese uh, in the Pacific. But as I've said before, the the important thing was that Germany was considered a much more potent force than Japan for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, Japan was a, a naval empire and they really didn't have a whole lot of designs on anything other than taking over some, you know, territories and then holding them. They wanted to become uh, what we call a hegemon, you know, the local power in the Pacific. Germany was much more dangerous for a variety of reasons. Number one, technologically, Germany was f- much farther ahead than the Japanese. Um, German planes, as they were coming out, I mean, the Germans came out with, at one point, uh, I believe it was 1944, the Messerschmitt 262, the ME 262, which was the first fully functioning jet fighter. I mean, they, they managed to come out with a plane that using this new technology, jet power. Um, today, obviously, you know, we look at, you know, jets, everything has jets, you know, all of the planes that we fly in. For the most part, I mean, sometimes, you know, shorter flights may have, uh, you know, propeller planes, but, uh, you know, they, they had jet fighters. They had uh, the V-1 and V-2 rockets. Uh, the V-2 rockets were basically... <laughs> They, they were impossible to basically shoot down. They would launch them, and they would that was it. They would come down, they would explode. And the V-2 rockets were actually the basis of the American space mission, um, which we'll talk about in another episode at one point. I'll, I will do the Cold War. Don't worry, those of you who are aficionados of the Cold War. But the fascinating thing about Germany, you know, they, they did, they came out with tanks, you know, the, the King Tiger, uh, which was unfortunately for them, a it was technologically phenomenal, but the reality was that they couldn't produce enough of them, uh, and they couldn't keep them up and running enough. Um, and so, you know, for every one Tiger that they produced, you know, the Soviets were producing 10, 12, 15 uh, of their tanks, you know, and the Americans were doing the same, and the British, so... Uh, it, it came to a major problem, but still, in 1943, so we left off with Germany. I'll, I'll recap a little bit. The Battle of Stalingrad was the decisive battle on the Eastern Front. Uh, the German Sixth Army was annihilated in Stalingrad. They got themselves caught up um, in Stalingrad. Uh, you know, Goering promised that he could deliver 500 tons a day with the Air Force. Uh, they were delivering less than 100 tons a day. And the German forces simply got squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And Hitler would not allow a retreat. And eventually, 
in Stalingrad, the Germans ended up having to surrender 92,000 soldiers, of whom only 5,000 would make it back home to Germany after several years in Russia uh, in the camps in Siberia. But Stalingrad was a disaster for the Germans on so many levels. First of all, it wiped out one of the most potent German armies that was there. The Sixth Army had started out with over 200,000 men, uh, you know, tank units, aircrafts coming in. And the other thing was that the Sixth Army, the whole point of Stalingrad was to take over the Caucasus oil fields so that Germany could have a reliable source of petroleum, um, you know, for all of their, <laughs> their tanks and their planes. Uh, and, and and their regular, you know, day-to-day uh, machinery, this ended it, okay? It was an absolute disaster, and there are no two ways to put it about. Now, despite that, in 1943, the Germans still managed to put together enough forces in Army Group Center to launch an attack. There was a, a salient, and by that I mean there was this Russian, uh, the Russians had something poking out around Kursk. So the Germans put together a, you know, a force to attack the Russians at Kursk. And everyone came up to Hitler. Everyone came up and said, this is a bad idea. Don't do it. And Hitler himself was like, yeah, it probably is a bad idea. But, and here's the problem. As the war started wearing on, two things happened in the East that helped make it a major difference. First, Hitler started taking more and more control of the military, started ordering more and more attacks on his own. And second, Stalin stopped doing that and started turning over more and more of the day-to-day operations to his generals. This was invaluable. Stalin was a bad general. He was a bad commander, okay? Uh, well, you only have to look back to the, the, the Soviet-Polish war. Uh, he was bad. But, of course, like most dictators, he fancied himself, you know, the generalissimo, the grand marshal. He thought that he knew better. And so every time Stalin would give orders, the Soviets would end up getting absolutely blasted. By 1943, especially after Stalingrad, he turned things over. He was like, all right, listen, I'm still going to take the credit, but let's let the guys like Zhukov and Tushenko and, and other guys, you know, you, you, can, you can actually, you know, order what you think needs to be done. The professionals. This combination of Hitler micromanaging and Stalin laying his hands off, invaluable to the Soviet war effort. Because now they had the guys that knew what they were doing in charge. And Hitler, who by this point was starting to become slightly unglued and would continue, uh, he, he continued to make decisions that were absolutely terrible decisions. So you've got Hitler ordering this attack on Kursk. He did believe, by that point, there was an ongoing discussion. Okay, I don't know that we can win the war in the East. But Hitler also believed that they couldn't win a war being fought on two fronts. Now, with the Allies already in North Africa and targeting Italy, which was going to fall, it was just a matter of time, 
The Italians just didn't have the resources to fight off things. Um, you know, they, they did fight. I know it's a very common thing. Historians like to make fun of the Italians in World War II. Italians in World War II actually fought well. They just didn't have the resources, and they certainly didn't have the officer corps to lead them. But Hitler's idea was, all right, so we have to stop this war in the East, okay? Because that's where we're just being bled white on the steps of Russia. As I mentioned before, nine out of every ten German soldiers who died in World War II uh, casualties were on the Eastern Front. There was no way. But he felt that Stalin could be negotiated with. He did not feel, and he was right, he did not feel that Churchill and Roosevelt, the Western allies, he did not feel that they could, okay, and, and Leclerc and de Gaulle, for my French followers, he did not feel that the Westerners could be dealt with. They were very caught up with this whole, nope, no surrender, except total surrender, okay? No negotiations. But he felt Stalin could be reasoned with. And so the idea was, if he could deal Stalin a major blow, then he could get Stalin to negotiate. But after Stalingrad, the Soviets were in no mood to negotiate. They were like, we're, we're on the offensive here, man. We just wiped out one of your major armies. So the idea that Hitler had, and again, again, it wasn't a terrible idea. The idea was we have to deal the Soviets another major defeat so that they're willing to negotiate. The problem was that Kursk was not that battle to do it. First of all, the Soviets got wind of it beforehand. The Soviets laid, I think it was six different levels of anti-tank. Uh, and, and, you know, just they knew they were coming. They prepared. And the Germans still, even with the attack, the Germans still managed to penetrate through basically everything. They just didn't, by the time they got to the last line of the Soviet defenses, they didn't have enough to be able to exploit things. And then the Soviets counterattacked and drove them back 100 miles. Um, you know, it was, it was in the East the end of things for the Germans. From that point on, from the Battle of Kurskon, the Germans never again, with the exception of a couple of local a couple of local battles, the Germans never again managed to get on the offensive. By this point, Soviet industry was pouring out planes, tanks, vehicles, to, you know, transport vehicles, you know, rockets. They were, they were absolutely on the offensive. Their soldiers had managed to, you know, weather the German storm. Uh, there were a lot of guys who had gotten experience, the ones that hadn't died, they got an experience and were ready for the attack. And the Soviets were ready. And the one thing that the Soviets needed came in 1944. And that was the D-Day landings. The Americans and British, to a degree, landed in Italy. And that was considered a, a success to some degrees. The problem, though, with the Italian terrain, if you don't know it, and if you don't, go get a map, look it up, come on. You know we're very big on geography here at After School History. The Italian terrain is, is very mountainous. There's a mountain range that basically runs down the middle of the Italian peninsula. And so the Allies are making their ways up, but 
It's a thin peninsula. Italy's not that wide. And so between the, the, the Italians that remained loyal and the Germans who basically sent down a large number of soldiers, the Allies ground their offensive ground to a halt. Uh, the Germans in Italy were able to keep them at bay. And it turned into nothing's going on here. And in any case, even if they had managed to kind of crack things open in Italy, they still would have had to go north. They would have had to go through Austria. There's mountains there. Switzerland was neutral, wouldn't let them. They might maybe southern France, but it wasn't the way. The clear attack plan was to land in northern France. And that's what the Allies planned on, and the Germans anticipated it. Everyone knew it was going to happen. It's just a matter of when, where, and with how much. So the Allies, of course, D-Day, 1944, landed in northern France. And, uh, (laughs) you know, as the saying goes, the Germans could have launched the panzers, the tanks against them, uh, as I believe I mentioned before. Uh, But Hitler was asleep. He'd taken a sleeping pill. Uh, The Germans believed the attack would come in what's called the Pas de Calais, which is the closest point between England and uh, France. And that's what the Allies let them believe. And so this other attack was seen as, well, this is a diversion. You know, they're, they're not really going... This is just to kind of try and get us to move troops there, and then they'll hit us at the Pas de Calais. But the, the attack on Normandy was the main attack. Uh, it was a close, a close met thing. Uh, you know, the, the Americans landed on two beaches, the, the British and Canadians landed on beaches, and it, it was a very difficult fight. Uh, you know, I know today we look at it and we're like, well, they were going to win. Uh, you know, Eisenhower, who was the commander-in-chief at the time, actually had written out a, a resignation letter in case the attacks had failed. He was prepared to resign because that's, that's leadership. You accept responsibility for things. When you're in charge, the attack is based on what you said, and he was like, if it doesn't go well and I lose these men and we don't take it, I'm going to resign. So a note to uh, all of my listeners, you know, if you're ever in a leadership position, you don't get to say, I don't take responsibility for this, okay? No, you are responsible for it. This is all you, and you have to own up to it. Eisenhower did, uh, despite having to go up major bluffs in the area, the Americans and the British and the Canadian eventually did manage to secure a foothold. From that point on, it was less than a year, okay, less than a year before Germany was out of the war because there was no way they could fight a war on two fronts against that many people. Once the Americans and the British and the Canadians secured their footholds, then it was a case of we have to break out. Now, northern France, the hedgerows, it's difficult terrain, okay? It's not easy. You know, yeah, you have tanks, you have this, you have that, but you can't exactly get around. The Germans were doing a great delaying job. But the problem was that the Americans and the Allies just had too much. And eventually they were able to break out of northern France. And once they broke out, it was, it was all 
you know, Katie barred the door. All bets are off. They just, it was gaining miles and miles and miles at a time. The Germans could not contain them. Uh, and then that was it. Uh, you know, on the Eastern Front, meanwhile, the Soviets were absolutely pressing the Germans everywhere. Um, the Germans fought back, in many cases, rather well. Um, you know, Germany did actually fight a very good retreat in the East. Um, they inflicted massive casualties on the Soviets. But again, here's the thing. The Soviets were not really concerned with casualties. They were concerned with winning. And so they were like, yeah, okay, it's fine if we suffer 50,000 casualties here. <laughs> we're going to take this territory because we've got more than they do. The Germans did fight, uh, like I said, a very good, it was a fighting retreat. Uh, you know, some of the generals became very well versed in this. But as I said before, the problem was Hitler started becoming more and more engaged on a almost like minuscule level, ordering individual divisions what to do. And, you know, Stalin was like, hey, this is, a, this is going pretty well. I'm going uh, to let it keep going. I mean, of course, I'm going to take full credit for it when it's over. But in the meantime, eh, let's, let's let it go as it does. And so Germany found themselves completely uh, squeezed. And, and then one of the major events, uh, you know, in the, in the later parts of World War II happened, the assassination attempt against Adolf Hitler. Um, and this was a, a coordinated attempt by numerous, uh, you know, uh, higher-up officers. And the idea was, here's the funny thing, the idea was, we'll kill Hitler, and then we'll seek kind of an armistice. But they still planned on insisting that they kept their gains, their territorial gains. This was never going to happen. I mean, there were the members of the German high command towards the end of the war were were almost as delusional as Hitler was. They thought that, well, we'll get rid of Hitler because he's the bad guy. And then we'll be like, the, the, the allies will be like, oh, well, Hitler's gone. No problem. You guys can keep Poland and Czechoslovakia, you know, uh, Belgium, the Netherlands, parts of France, and, you know, half of Italy and uh, yeah, Austria, you know, and, and maybe some, the last little remnants of, uh, you know, the Soviet Union. No problem. You can have them. You got rid of Hitler. I mean, goodness gracious, that's that was brilliant there, but guys. The reality, of course, is that, and you know, again, this is what I I do love about history. One little thing can change the entire outcome of something as massive as the war. So at the 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 conference room, Colonel von Stauffenberg planted a his briefcase with a bomb and one of the the, uh, the the poor officers wanted to be able to get in closer to Hitler so he moved the briefcase from one side of the table leg so you can imagine a large table that had two um, legs but they were they weren't legs like the individual it was, it was thick you know like a, a, a very thick leg um, so they only had two. And he moved it from one side to the other. And, of course, the bomb blew up. And he died. A bunch of other people died. 
But because he had moved it, the blast did not kill Hitler. So Hitler lived. Um, The British, by the way, who had been trying to assassinate Hitler for several years, by 1944 had stopped. And their reasoning was that Hitler was actually doing more damage for the the German war effort. They were like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. It's the old quote by Napoleon Bonaparte. I don't know why I say Bonaparte. When I say Napoleon, you all know who I'm really talking about. But the old quote, never interrupt your enemy when he is making a mistake. And it was true. And they were like, no, no, no. We want him to stay alive because they were worried that, God forbid, one of the German generals managed to take over who actually knew what the heck they were doing. The war could actually get a lot more intense. They were happy to let Hitler take over by 1944, take over in all of these, you know, minor areas. So anyway, Hitler lived... Um, you know, the, 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 the attempt failed, a uh, number of people executed, you know, Hitler had them all hanged, uh, or shot, as the case may be. Uh, even, you know, the most famous, of course, that was killed at the time was Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox, who was one of the most successful German generals of the war. Um, it's not known to this day... <laughs> The belief is that he basically said, all right, if you kill him, I'll, I'll help you out. He didn't actively engage in the conspiracy. He didn't take part. But the fact of the matter was that during torture, one of the guys yelled his name out. And so uh, Rommel, who had, his, his car had been shot up by an allied uh, plane, he was recovering. The SS started keeping tabs on him. And then finally what happened was uh, Hitler sent two guys to him because Hitler felt that Rommel had, had simply... It, it wasn't, again, in, in Hitler's regime, it wasn't enough. And this is very 1984. It, it's not enough that you don't do something to oppose it. It's, you can't even have had anything to do with it at all. It's not that he did anything, it's that he didn't not do something. So what happened was two guys came in and, you know, said, can we talk with the field marshal? Okay. And they said, here's the deal. Uh, you're going to be put on trial in the people's court. And as I've said before, man, once you start getting titled like the people's this, the people's republic of run, get out of that country as quickly as you can. The minute they start with the people something or other, that's a problem, okay? No offense to any of my listeners who live in a people's republic. I'm just saying historically, something where they start using the people's this or the people's democratic republic, boy, that becomes, okay, we're not having anything about the people nor the democracy in this. But anyway, they came up to this and said, you, you could go before the people's court, of course, and you could defend yourself. But in the people's court... The guilt, uh, the, the, the conviction rate was 100%. They're going to find you guilty. You're going to be executed. Okay? Or, or, what we can do is, we've got a pill out in the car here, and you can take this pill. You'll be dead within seconds. And we're going to say that you died as a result of injuries you sustained, uh, you know, from the, the being shot by the, uh, the plane, 
you'll get a hero's funeral. Your wife and children will get their full, uh, your wife will get a full pension and your name will be, you know, you'll, you'll have a full military funeral. And so, you know, Rommel did, I guess what you'd call the logical thing. He said, okay, listen, go out to the car. And then he went up and, uh, you know, said to his wife, listen, um, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go out with these guys. And uh, in about 10 minutes, you're going to get a phone call. And the phone call is going to say that, you know, your husband has unfortunately died as a result of his injuries. And you're going to maintain all of your stuff. Nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen to the son. Nothing's going to happen anywhere. Um, and that's that. And, uh, you know, gave her a kiss. Dressed up in his marshals. You know, took his baton with him. And went out. And... Ten minutes later, his wife got the call. This is what dictatorships do. There's no, there's no sense of like you know this idea. That, well, he wasn't really guilty. No, it's not just that he wasn't really guilty. It's that he wasn't not not guilty. Okay, and so Rommel, who was one of the best German generals of the Second World War, ended up going out and dying from taking you know pill. Um, and that was that. Uh, it's very sad. I've always felt that Rommel's fate uh, was was tragic. But unfortunately, this is what happens when you get involved with these kinds of people. Rommel knew it was going on with the Nazis. Uh, nobody up in that level did not know it was going on. So you can't feel too bad for him, okay? Because when you know what's going on, especially with regards to the Holocaust, which is going to be another episode of mine, uh, because it takes a complete episode to talk about the Holocaust, that's, you know, you, you know things that are going on. You have, I believe, a moral obligation to stop this, to do something. Um, you know, it's just, you, you, can't, you can't just let things go on. But a lot of these guys did. They, they maybe, they told themselves, well, this is, this is not about Hitler, it's not about the Nazis, it's about the fatherland, it's about Germany. No, it was about all of that, okay? You know, you were just deluding yourself, but people like to do that. So in any case, uh, Germany, by the end of 1944, terrible shape. They did launch one major counteroffensive known as the Battle of the Bulge. My grandfather fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Um, you know, it was called the Bulge because the Germans managed to gain a significant amount of territory in France. Uh, they attacked at a time where the weather was terrible, so the Allied air power could not dominate the skies and, and take them out. But they didn't have anything. Uh, you know, the, the, the reserves, they didn't have gas. Um, <laughs> famously, one of the American commanders, when asked to surrender, said nuts. You know, uh, George Patton... Managed to launch a massive counterattack, and eventually the Germans, after a week or so, were, were back on the defensive, uh, and that was that. Uh, you know, like I said, by 1945, the war was the war could have been over even earlier, uh, but by 1940, the beginning of 1945, it was all over. But the crime, I mean, it was just a matter of Germans in 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 the west surrendering, in the east fighting to the death, uh, and then you know the war would be over by April. Of 1945. So, and we'll talk about that in the next episode. I'll talk about the, the very conclusion and the direct aftermath, you know, uh, and, and what happened after the war was over, 
with the Germans, with the Allies, as the Allies started finding things. It won't be part of the Holocaust episode. That'll be a completely separate episode because I feel that that's extremely important. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've always, I've always saved talking about the Holocaust um, when I talk with my students. It, it, it's, it's probably, I mean, the Holocaust is probably the biggest event of the 20th century as far as the significance of the fact that uh, a, it, there was an industrialized genocide against people. Um, you know, and, and this has nothing to do with whether pro-Israel, anti-Israel, it doesn't matter. Um, it wasn't just Jews who were killed, although, it, again, the Jews were the targets, okay? So people want to say, well, they also killed Soviets and stuff. Yes, they did. They, they killed Russians, they killed... Um, a, a lot of different people, Roma, uh, they killed Jehovah's Witnesses, they killed um, other people, but the point of the Holocaust was to exterminate, and I use that word with all of the gravity that it entails, to exterminate European Jewry. That was it. That was the point. And we'll talk about all of that. We'll talk about what happened with that in another episode. But I'll leave you with, the, you know, by 1945, it was all over but the crying for the Germans. Allies were making tremendous gains. And then, of course, you know, again, winning the war is, always ends up being the easy part, in a, in a sense. They had to then figure out, okay, well, all of a sudden now it's like, great, you know, we're beating Germany. Now all of a sudden we've got to deal with the, the Western Allies, have to deal with the Soviets who, up until four years ago, hated each other's guts. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? You know, who's going to get what? It was a tremendous effort to reshape the map. And as we're going to talk about, the Western Allies ended up coming out on top over the long run. Uh, didn't happen right away, but over the long run it does. And as I always say, um, and, and I will repeat till the day I die, there are two types of fences that you build. One, you build a fence or a wall to keep people out. Two, you build a fence or a wall to keep your own people in. The first point is, uh, it's not good, I don't support it. But if you're doing the second, you have a major problem with your country. And we will talk all about that in the next one. In any case, for now... Uh, I'm going to leave you with that, so please, if you have anything to say, uh, you know, send me Instagram, again, at Antonius Optimus. Uh, you can leave a voice message on the Anchor app. I want to thank everyone. I've got. I've now had over a thousand listens to my podcast. I am really excited. That's fantastic. I know uh, probably, uh, you know, Joe Rogan gets that in about 15 minutes, but uh, I don't. And I appreciate every single one of you. I've got over 22 countries now that are listening to me. Um, it's it's great. Please, if you have anything else you want me to talk about, because we're going to be wrapping up the World War II thing really soon, let me know. Let me know what you'd like me to talk about. Please, or if you have an issue with it, let me know. I'm always open for that stuff. Until then, please stay safe, wear masks, stay indoors if you can. If you can't, be careful with things. And, uh, you know, as always, we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.